This is Kick-Ass News. I'm Ben Mathis. Hi, I'm Ben Mathis. Welcome to Kick-Ass News. On May 19th, more than 19 million people tuned in for the final episode of HBO's epic series, Game of Thrones. With that many diehard fans, HBO's not about to abandon a billion-dollar franchise, promising a prequel series to Game of Thrones sometime next year. But in the meantime, if you're longing to see a familiar face from the Seven Kingdoms, Liam Cunningham now follows up his seven seasons as Sir Davos Seaworth on Game of Thrones with a new six-part series that's also epic in scope, but this time it's no fantasy, it's frighteningly true. National Geographic Channel's The Hot Zone stars Cunningham as a scientist who experienced the terrifying origins of the deadly Ebola virus in the Central African rainforest and later finds himself in a race against the clock to contain an Ebola outbreak on U.S. soil just miles from the nation's capital. The three-part limited series The Hot Zone airs beginning Memorial Day, May 27th on Nat Geo, and today Liam Cunningham joins me on the podcast to talk about going from fighting white walkers to fighting one of the world's most devastating diseases. We also talk about his original audition for Game of Thrones and why he thought he got a polite brush-off from series creators David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, and what it's like when GOT fans approach him in the streets wanting to pick apart the minutiae of their favorite show. Then Liam discusses the true story of America's close call with Ebola in 1989 and the Hot Zone's almost legendary two-decade journey to the screen. We get into what it was like to wear those incredibly claustrophobic hazmat suits, the very real threat of a new Ebola outbreak right here in the U.S., the dangers of the modern anti-vaxxer movement, and the importance of striking the right balance between rational and irrational fears. He talks about filming The Hot Zone in the South African bush complete with a snake wrangler on set, how it took him back to his early days working as an electrician in neighboring Zimbabwe, and how that experience directly inspired him to pursue a career in acting. Plus, we cover the secret to not getting killed off by Game of Thrones producers Benioff and Weiss, we debate whether a knight can really create another knight, and who was the culprit responsible for that infamous Starbucks cup in Episode 4. Coming up with Liam Cunningham in just a moment. For seven years, Liam Cunningham has been the unmistakably gruff voice of reason on HBO's hit series Game of Thrones in his role as Sir Davos Seaworth. Now, just as Game of Thrones winds down to an end, he goes from fighting White Walkers to fighting Ebola in National Geographic Channel's gripping new miniseries, The Hot Zone, which premieres Memorial Day, May 27th at 9, 8 central. Liam Cunningham, welcome. Thank you very much for having me, sir. Well, I have to ask what everyone probably wants to know immediately right off the bat. Were you responsible for the Starbucks Cup? 
according to the chaser quite quickly. Yeah. Unfortunately not. No. No, 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 no. Do you I know who was? No, it, well, I, but I've already got myself in trouble with with the delightful Miss Amelia, Amelia Clark uh, because she's the person in the shot with the coffee cup yeah. and I made the mistake of saying, well, it's probably Amelia's probably drinking too much coffee. She doesn't even drink coffee. She's, oh, yeah. a, she's a herbal tea kind of a person. So she's, she's been abusing me from, uh, from her, whatever she is in New York or somewhere. So I can only have to apologize to Miss Clark. <laughs> it was a bum steer I gave her. Uh, do you think she could have been set up? Do you think she was framed? I don't know. I don't know. I think it's one of those things. That was a huge, huge scene that we were on for days. And it's in one shot. And you have to remember the amount of angles that we have to get on each shot. I mean, the, the, the workload on something like that is enormous. And it's very possible that this cup was left with the, with people thinking the camera wasn't going to be going over in that direction. Uh -huh. So it was literally okay. there for two seconds. Innocent but mistake. I think, I hear HBO have held up their hands and went, we missed that one, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah they, to their credit, they took responsibility. All the hard work we put into the show, uh, and, no. and it's, it's coming down to a, to a paper cup. Now, uh, that d honestly didn't bother me that much, but I have to say, I do have one bone to pick with you, Liam, or at least with Game of Thrones, although... You're sort of complicit in this as well, because <laughs> I think it was episode two this season. You take part in the knighthood of Brienne of Tarth. Yes. Because Game of Thrones has established in this episode that any knight can create another knight. Yes. Now, I sat down with Sir Kenneth Branagh mm -hmm. just yesterday, and I asked him if he would knight me. He had absolutely no idea what the hell I was talking about. Turns out that's not true at all. Well, the British sovereign is the only one who can bestow a knighthood. I think the so other, the I feel other like th a damn fool now. No, you shouldn't. But but you're <laughs> confusing reality with fantasy. In, in <laughs> no, our show, not which, for the first time either. They're <laughs> <laughs> made to be honest as well. Um, I I think what you have is we have a world that we create. Uh, uh, and we don't have there's not dragons in the real world either or shadow yeah. babies and stuff like that. Uh, and it's and the show is very loosely based on the War of the mm -hmm. Roses and and stuff. So. Uh, some of our rules do not correspond with the, with the, the rules of ancient English <laughs> fiefdoms, whatever. Do you get a lot of people who are hardcore fans who come up to you and want to nitpick every plot point and every little detail like that? It's kind of it's kind of cute intense. because <laughs> if they if we've invoked that level of geekness and mm -hmm. uh, and nerdery in people, then we're doing something right that they fit that is complicated yeah. enough. It's not condescending or patronizing. And uh, to have that level of interest is is really cool. And you have to you have to remember that the people working on this show have to have a similar level uh, of of love of detail. Mm -hmm. To to uh, you know, David and Dan has been taking over their lives the entire thing for the last ten years. It's not something they pop in and pop out of. Um, the commitment involved for those particular guys and our crews and everybody else. Um, it's safe to say that the biggest fans of Game of Thrones are the people who make it. Yeah. What has it been like since you've gotten all this fame from Game of Thrones? Do you have a lot of people coming up to you and addressing you as Sir Davos? And I've had yes, must people be have kneeled before me. People have done it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it can be a bit. It can be very. It's very. It's very strange. It's very, what's strange is with the fame thing is landing in a country you've never been in before and everybody knows you. Oh, yeah? That, 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 that's, that's very strange. I haven't had that that experience before. And I've been doing this like probably 30 years now yeah. or something and it's this uh, fame, for want of a better phrase, is uh, notoriety perhaps, is, um, is very, very new to me. And I was a strolling player and I popped up. I've been f famous on a sc small scale for f small amounts of time. <laughs> I was very lucky to do Ken Loach film and we mm -hmm. won the 
Palm d'Or in 2006 it was and then I did Steve McQueen's first film and that went through the roof so but what's great is the public's memory is incredibly short as a body of people yeah that's true which allows actors to yeah. you know get off doing one successful show and move to another one um, they can they can bend their imaginations so mm -hmm. uh, hopefully we can utilise that particular thing and uh, for, for the re remainder of my career yeah you came to audition for Game of Thrones in season one and I understand that you originally walked away thinking that you had gotten kind of the polite brush off before they brought you back huh? yes that's true I went away. well as with a lot of jobs that actors working jobbing actors go for you you have to uh, tolerate the the horror of rejection uh, and I met the guys for this. They'd seen me in something and were very interested in talking to me. And then I got contacted and they said, look, it hasn't worked for you. Um, but they said they have some interesting characters coming in next year. And I went, oh, yeah, that's the the nice version of <laughs> right, don't call us, right, we'll call no you. no one ever says no in Hollywood. No, 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 no. They wouldn't want to give you that crushing blow. Yeah. Uh, but sure enough, to their word, they call, called me back in and said, uh, look, we think this character is, is more suitable to your uh, particular talents and and we had a meeting talk about it and hence Davos was born yeah and, and you really bring something to the show because you have so many over-the-top characters on that show and yet there's you Sir yeah. Davos who has this charmingly down-to-earth quality yeah. doesn't put up with a lot of bullshit oh <laughs> it never seems to really have a personal hidden agenda yeah um, it's a great contrast to literally everyone else on that show well you mean yeah. the, the show is about you know with with the, all its dragons and shadow babies and all yeah. this sort of thing which is an incredibly expensive and beautiful backdrop the story is essentially about the nature of power and family and legacy and mm -hmm. paranoia and whatever so with those with 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 power corrupting people along the way as is its nature um it's i think it's very important to have almost for want of a better word that device of um uh, of somebody like davos who has been described by people as the moral compass of the piece mm -hmm. um I think he speaks up for the audience. I think he, he comes in and goes, yeah. well, well, what are you thinking? We're not, we can't do that. It just turns us into what everything that we ate. And I think that's important. You need that that kind of guy. Absolutely. And also he's had his personal things with Shireen and and his son dying and all sorts of stuff. Um, it's been a joy to yeah. play this guy. And I have to say, the one scene that really encapsulates who he is, and it's also possibly my favorite scene from the entire show, is when you bring Jon Snow to meet Daenerys Targaryen and she has this formal introduction and her right-hand person there is saying, this is Daenerys Stormborn. Oh, the breaker of chains, yeah. the mother of Heir dragons. Heir to the Iron the, Throne, yeah. mother of dragons. And she goes on and on and on. And then she's finally done and you say, this is Jon Snow. Yeah, yeah. and he looks over his shoulder and looks back at me and I go, oh, oh, oh he's king of the north. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's has to be sort of squeezed out. He doesn't hold pomp and circumstance and yeah. any sort of re respect yeah. for it at all because it's all a show. Yeah. Uh, and he's not trying to make a point or anything. He's genuine, genuinely, why do, why do we need it's to know this stuff? It's not important. <laughs> you know. And they're fighting tooth and nail to get those names in the show. And I love the irony yeah. of that. Now, you star in National Geographic's The Hot Zone, alongside a great cast that includes Juliana Margulies, Noah Emmerich, and Topher Grace. What is it like going from a show like Game of Thrones that's so otherworldly and straight-out fantasy to a miniseries that's about something deadly real, Ebola? It can be very odd. Um, in our limited powers, us actors and filmmakers and TV makers and whatever it may be, we're essentially, um, bottom line, we're storytellers. We'd like mm -hmm. to tell stories and we would like to present them to people who kind of go, 
who doesn't love a good story? We we grow up with them when we're trying to get to sleep at night. We buy novels. We you know all this sort of stuff. Excuse me. <clears throat> so when there's when the opportunity f f uh, when I saw this, it was the story, but it was also. You kind of have a sense you you have I won't say a civic duty, but this thing, this Ebola pathogen is so disgusting and appalling and what it can do to a human being is that in a sense it's like our worst nightmare we don't want to deal yeah. with it and it's happening over there and it's happening to people who we don't really have that much in common they're subsistence farmers they're in the middle of nowhere and this that and the other it doesn't work like that in 1989 Ebola was basically unleashed 10 miles from the White House in Washington Wow, this is a true story, right? Absolutely, 100% true wow. story. And the wonderful Juniella Margulies plays the the lady who caught this, uh, um, uh, Nancy Jacks, Colonel Nancy Jacks. Um, and um, and in the show, uh, she's finding it very difficult to identify what this particular thing is. Uh, so she calls in her mentor uh, to, to basically assist her, who I play, Dr. Wade Carter. Uh, is your character based on a real person too? No, he's based okay. on a number of people. We have to remember the scientific okay, community is not sure. is not is not renowned for its um, <coughs> its uh, living on the edge kind of uh, you know right. this kind of thing. They don't, to yeah. a large extent, they don't live an exciting life, and they shouldn't. Yeah, they need petri dishes and test tubes and 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 retesting and testing again, and it can be seen. It doesn't look great on TV. Uh, but what we have with this is is this horrible story of them trying to identify. So basically, what's happened with my character, uh, who I'm a large part of the flashback sequence that we go back to the seventies in Africa, all the events kind of happened to a, f a few different real people, and we've just amalgamated mm -hmm. the events to happen to one character. I want to say that the hot zone had a long road to the screen. For I think two or three decades, it was like the hottest unproduced script in Hollywood. Uh, who was responsible for finally busting out of development hell? Well, one has to congratulate the beautiful people at Nat Geo. They made yeah. it happen because Ridley Scott was trying to make it for about thirty years, I think. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and the wonderful Lin Linda Obst. Um, and I mean, when you think about it, it's very easy to go. Yeah, of course, a story like this, the home of scientific. Uh, and the and the wonder of the natural world is National Geographic and mm -hmm. Nat Geo. Yeah, perfect. So, set. so is there a better home for this story? I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, and I think that Nat Geo also produced a documentary to run alongside this about Ebola. Huh? Yeah, that's right. There's a two, oh, cool. I think it's a two-hour documentary or something. Is it? What going viral? Which will which will accompany it? Which is more, I believe, more scientific based and mm -hmm. and the rollout of of, of yeah. this thing actually happened. But our our job as storytellers is to take, hopefully take this from page 10 of the newspaper and try and move it up mm. because we have the facilities. There are even vaccines have been developed now. The scary thing is, even though this is set in 1989, the second largest ever outbreak of Ebola is happening today. Really? In, in, yeah. And if and if that gets, out, gets to a... Yes. Wow. In the Congo, I think. <clears throat> Say again? Uh, yes, it was actually because I saw that. But it needs to be caught up. We do have facilities yeah. to take care of this. We've got vaccines. We've got we've got the manpower. We sort of know how to deal with it. But 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 we need government assistance. We need sort of the public going get rid of this. Yeah, we need to, we need to force our people in authority to um, to get get behind yeah. this. Interesting because I feel like in the media 
it's been portrayed more recently like Ebola is not the kind of threat that it was way back when and that we now have it under control. Do you no, think that that's, that's not, not necessarily that's the case? No, that's not true. In fact, some of the, specifically the Médecins Sans Frontières, the, the, the doctors with their, with their borders, they're getting attacked uh, really? by people who are who haven't been given the education not to do that. They, wow. they're, they're seeing the people, the clinics, uh, and they've destroyed a number of clinics. And we really need to... Um, to educate people and also uh, get equipment funding and, and, you know, all the other things that will make this thing go away because it disappears into the jungle and it comes out again. It's a genuine enemy, invisible enemy to human beings. Good God. <laughs> Very scary. scary. It's scary stuff. Yeah. Did you have to do a lot of research for this part? Uh, well, I think the people who were doing the mechanics of, of looking at the study obviously had to do it. Juliana had to do so, and she actually met with, with Nancy Jackson. I think Topher was the same. The procedural stuff was uh, was was int- it was interesting, and and, uh, and that had to be done. Obviously, the wearing of the suits, the hazmat suits, I didn't realize they were so complicated and so claustrophobic. Yeah, yeah what did that stuff. feel like? Not good. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't even have to wear the worst one. The wonderful oh, yeah. Juliana, she had to wear this. I think it's sixty pounds or something. This, this thing that would nearly stop a nuclear weapon coming at you, and she had to wear that. And I think that was incredibly uncomfortable. We're going to take a quick break, and then I'll be back with more with Liam Cunningham when we come back in just a minute. According to the White House budget, the U.S. government plans to spend at least $15 billion on cybersecurity in 2019. It's safe to say that high-profile hacks and breaches have made cybersecurity a national concern. You might be wondering, how concerned should I be about my personal devices and data? Am I a couple keystrokes away from losing my identity? Is Alexa going to spill my most embarrassing secrets? Hackable, an original podcast from McAfee, answers these questions and more. It's like Mr. Robot meets Mythbusters and can be found on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. In each episode, Hackable host Jeff Siskin invites a white hat hacker to try and hack a device he's using. They've tested everything from laptops and webcams to drones, virtual reality headsets, and smart plugs. In the latest episode of Season 4, Jeff and team investigate how secure their smartphones are. Listen and learn if the treasure trove of sensitive data on your phone is at risk. Can a hacker even find selfies that you've deleted? Listen and subscribe to Hackable today on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And now, back to the show. Ebola is something that's sort of an obsession for your character, Wade Carter. And in particular, he warns about what he calls a monster or the super yeah. Ebola. I want to know more about that. Could there really be a super Ebola? And what does that look without, like? Without a doubt. There, I think there's three strains at the moment. There may be more. Uh, the one that got out in Washington was named Reston because that's the area it came from that they discovered in, in, in Washington or just outside Washington. Luckily enough, that strain that got out, and this is a virus, this is why we can't get rid of the common cold, we can't get rid of, of, of the flu. This virus constantly mutates, and you can get a vaccine to take care of certain strains of it, uh, but we cannot get rid of flu, we cannot get rid of the common cold. It's very difficult. We tolerate them because most of the time they give us the sniffles, coughs, and some achy bones, and then it goes away. Um, Reston was a similar kind of non-lethal form of that. 
But what the information it should give us is what if it was uh, Ebola Sudan or Ebola Zaire. And I think the one we see at the beginning of, of uh, the hot zone, I think that was Ebola Zaire that hit him. And we, you can see the damage in the show that it does to a human being. Yeah. If that gets out, this is constantly mutating. It's also very difficult to pick up. It also destroys its host very quickly, which is, in a sense, a good thing. Even though you see it doing something horrific to somebody, it's a virus that is so self-destructive because it destroys its host. And this is where we can get this term monster from. This monster gets into your system, ravages you in a very short amount of time, and and up to it's an up to 90% fatality rate. Wow. So this we like one in ten survive in some in some of the, some of the cases. Um, so uh, to disregard this thing as as a, 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 a virus, a pathogen that's happening somewhere, there is mm. no far away on this planet anymore. Everywhere yeah. is close. Yeah, everything's uh, a flight away. Unless we knuckle down and mm. and help the people who are trying to get rid of, rid of this uh, disease or contain it, uh, and and you know ensure their security and that they have a proper funding equipment and personnel to get rid of it this thing could go back come back and bite us on the ass Ooh. after shooting the hot zone i have to wonder did you run home and hug your wife and kids a little tighter no no i ran home and put my arms out and then said i can't touch them <laughs> that's great one thing that comes up throughout the show not just in dealing with Ebola, but also in dealing with the AIDS epidemic in the 80s, is this question of how do you strike that right balance between a healthy, rational sense of fear and an irrational sense of fear that can lead to panic and even injustice in some situations? Uh, it seems like that's something that we're still dealing with today. Absolutely. And, uh, and I completely get it. In fact, uh, Rhodes, the character who's kind of the head of the CDC, brings that up, that do we do we want to start blocking, getting the military to block off streets, to quarantine this mm -hmm. thing? We have a, a nation to run. Where, and, you know, the... It's very easy. It, it doesn't take it doesn't take much. As some, some wag once said, "We are all four meals away from anarchy." Which, if you think about it, is is a very you know, if you can't feed your children for four days, mm -hmm. you're kicking in the the shutters of the supermarket, and, and right. society begins to fall asunder. Right. We're very close to, to anarchy. Right, and Always. most people aren't prepared for even that. Absolutely, if there was an earthquake or who knows a pandemic. Yeah, Absolutely. they don't have enough food on the shelves, enough water. Yes, yeah, society is very very fragile. Mm -hmm. So we should be doing everything in our power to make sure that that, that fragility um, d doesn't get broken. Um, and this is the sort of thing, this particular monster is the sort of thing that can do that. Speaking of rational and irrational fears, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'd be curious if working on the hot zone has given you any insight or opinions on the whole controversial anti-vaccine movement. These things have been going for for a long time. This is people who suddenly decided not to not to vaccinate their children. Uh, if this was a brand new vaccine that was coming out, you might have some reason because, whatever, maybe the overall test results. Right. It's a vaccines that have been used forever. Um, they're incredibly good. Uh, um, they have they they have it's vaccines that have got rid of smallpox and and polio and all this sort of thing and. It's unfortunately, this is the power of social media, uh, is that some people just want to watch the world burn. Mm. And it's just hearsay to, to, to say to your kids, uh, we're not going to give you vaccines because I read something on Twitter that said I shouldn't. 
yeah. you know, if you're going to do something like that, the least you can do is do some research. Do your homework, yeah. Do your homework. Yeah. And then, because this is a big decision you're making yeah. about your child's future. Yeah, and, and to and do it on the back is. of a couple of tweets yeah. is not really taking care of your child. Mm. It's taking care of your yeah. guilt. All right. So, folks, vaccinate your kids. Vaccines aren't a hoax. They don't cause autism. They save lives. So get your shots. That's my little PSA here for everyone. Uh, One thing that comes across in this series is I was just stunned by how much the people who actually study and try to treat diseases like Ebola take their own lives into their hands. Did you come away from this project with a new appreciation for the kind of risks people take? They do take enormous risks. Um, And you you can see even when they're... You know the recent photographs of the uh, of the medical t- the tents the medical treatment centers for Ebola. I mean these people are are working in a horrific 80, 90 percent humidity. They're wearing uh, uh, hazmat suits that bring us up that temperature, and they've also got to treat people who are sick and do scientific studies. Every time they get in and get out of those suits, they have to be uh, decontaminated. It's it's. It's very odd when you're doing it in a studio in, in, in Toronto and you're putting these on with the, with the help of costume assistants and, <laughs> and all the luxuries that, that us spoiled actors get. Um, and to, to understand that, that these proper heroes are putting it on the line somewhere in Central Africa and taping themselves up and then doing their buddy systems to get all this stuff off. Um, I don't know how they do it. They're they're complete heroes. I have nothing but respect for them. It's an incredibly difficult and dangerous. uh, The working conditions are are horrific. Yeah, because you have to get close to the disease in order to study the disease or treat the disease. That's just part of the job. Yep, and and they're proper heroes. Yeah. Much of the action in the hot zone takes place in these flashbacks of your character in Africa where he bears witness to this total devastation that Ebola wreaks where did you film those scenes? They were filmed, uh, and I filmed in South Africa many times, and I love going back there. There's just something mm. indescribably magical about the place. If, if you're lucky enough to have the funds available to, yeah. to get your ass to Africa and oh, do yeah. it. It's, it's, it's one of my favorite countries. Oh, it's, go- it's just gorgeous. And the they have continent. good film incentives. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> so yeah exactly. They do. They quite well. rightly do. Yeah. Where we shot, we obviously needed uh, as much as possible to get um, 70s and um, uh, Central Africa. Mm-hmm. We needed rainforest, mangrove, all that sort of stuff. Luckily enough, with the infrastructure that South Africa has, we had a experienced, magnificent crew uh, with uh, and we filmed a bit two hours north of Durban, which okay. is on the east coast, mm. close to Swaziland, Mozambique, all that area. Uh, and we had I don't know what what forty degrees is. It's about ninety or some ninety five degrees Fahrenheit, something like that. Eighty five degree humidity. And when we were working in the villages, we had to have a man with a stick picking up the snakes, the poisonous snakes, <laughs> oh to get them God. out of the way so we could do some acting. So you were um, risking your life too. It, well, I wouldn't <laughs> say that much, but it was a, it, it did add a, a certain tension to the scenes. And I have a snake guy on set. Yeah, we did have a snake guy on set every day. Wow. Now, didn't you also spend some time in Africa earlier in your life in Zimbabwe, I think? I lived there for three and a half years in wow. my previous incarnation, as I like right. to regale people with when I used to be a real person before I was an actor. <laughs> yeah, I did rural electrification, a lot of high voltage stuff and uh, for remote villages. I worked in the bush for three and a half years. Wow. You like our, putting yourself in dangerous situations. Uh, I yeah, I did nearly get myself in trouble a lot of times. Yeah, uh, yeah. But um, 
it was very weird because I was sitting with James Darcy, who plays Rhodes, my kind of you know nemesis or whatever in the show. Uh, and he, uh, I, I was driving my Land Rover, my four-wheel drive on these dusty African trails in the middle of the bush. And I remember looking at, and I just had the biggest smile on my face. And I said, James, 30, 30 odd years ago, 35 years ago, I was doing this as, a, as an electrician, as a rural, you know, uh, engineer, rural electrical engineer, doing this. And I said, here I am 35 years later as an actor, pretending I'm back at that period, <laughs> driving a oh, four-wheel yeah. drive. The irony was not lost on me. Yeah. So I'd lived the yeah. research, really, of the guy, yeah. Yeah, unknowingly. Yeah. What part of Zimbabwe were you in? I've, I've been there, but I haven't been too much around that country. Uh, oh, you've for a while, possibly, it wasn't very oh, no, it's, hospitable. It, yes. It, tell me about it. Yeah. yeah. I came in there four years after independence. Oh, it really? Was, yeah, what was, was that like, being a white Brit, just after they threw yeah. out the British? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but I'm, first of all, I'm not British. I'm Irish. Oh, okay, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, but, okay. So, uh, um, I always get mixed up with the distinctions between Britain, UK, and... Yeah, I tell you, <laughs> listen, it's confusing that. for everybody. So. Yeah, and it is the British Isles, as they call it. But, yeah. but Ireland is very much a, an independent and uh, a, a republic. Yeah. Um, but the people in Zimbabwe probably Pe didn't make that distinction. No, 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 did no. They? no it wasn't, but listen, I was in a very, uh, you know, fortunate position. I was driving a Land Rover with the electricity company mm. logos on the side. Okay. So I was there to make their problems go away, or in <laughs> okay. fact, make their lives a little easier. So I was always kind of welcome. I never experienced any anything of that. Really. I did the other way around with the white and black. I, I saw really naked racism when I was there. Yeah, even oh, when wow. they were going. Tell me about and, that. Well, when I got there, you have to remember, at Independence, there was a quarter of a million whites. The yeah. reason they came over looking for young men, which I was at the time, I was 22 when I went over, uh, they had to come over because, uh, you know, the whites kept all the lucrative jobs for themselves. Mm -hmm. But when um, a socialist, scientific socialist government got in in 1980, by the time we got there in 84, 80% of the white people had left. Right. They refused uh, to be governed by a, um, uh, an indigenous black government. Uh, so they lost a, a huge amount of experienced and technical uh, people uh, mm. who, who disappeared from the country and went off to South Africa or Australia or England or whatever. Uh, so we were brought in to shore up and, and train um, the apprentices and, and the younger, younger set, and that's what I did for three and a half years. Wow. And I think I once heard you say that Africa is the reason you became an actor, huh? How yeah. so? Well, because when I went, I got leave from my job to go to Africa, mm -hmm. just, you know, and then after three and a half years, oh, yeah, you were asking about the areas I was in, uh, Hwange, which is the okay. national park. It's the size of Belgium. 16,000 elephants and rhinos yeah. and lions and cheetahs. That, that's and near Victoria Falls, It's right? exactly. Yeah. It's about 50 okay. miles, 80 miles from Victoria okay. Falls. That was the area yeah. I used to yeah, look after, there. all that area. Um. So when I came back to Dublin and I was put back in my little van driving around Dublin, <laughs> it just didn't have the same glamour anymore yeah. after after this extraordinary time I'd, I'd had in, in Zimbabwe. So I uh, I was looking for a distraction, a hobby. And I'd love drama, love TV, love movies. And I went, oh, let's look at acting. I don't know where it came from, to be honest. Uh, and I joined an acting school and within about three or four weeks, I just completely unexpectedly fell in love with it. Yeah. And I just couldn't get enough of it. And I and I started late. I only started turned professional when I was 29 years old. So, yeah. And here I am. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a very lucky boy. Yeah, I mean, it, was there part of you that wondered if you had kind of missed your window to become an actor? You know, a lot oh, of no, times naivety. that's a young man's business. At no, least that's how naivety is a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a lot of a lot of wonderful things in this world have be, been achieved because of ignorance and naivety, and long <laughs> may it last. If we all saw the mountain one had to climb, we wouldn't even put on our boots. Yeah. Um, Sometimes you've got to blindfold yourself and just run up the mountain and see how far you get up it. Uh, I didn't think of it like that. I love the process, the mm. problem solving uh, of of trying to get words, ink from a page, believable and suspending an audience's disbelief and, and bringing them on a journey with you. And there's something very, in a sense, spiritual about that or, or very, very close to our souls, shall we say. And I just love that thing. So I... Um, I, I love pursuing that. And I, I never thought about the remuneration or anything like that. And I, I just thought if I if I do my job properly and and uh, and, and do it the best I can, then then the right people will mm-hmm. notice that what I'm trying to do, and maybe I'll get a chance to work yeah. with them. Um, but if you ask me now, would I go back and do the same thing? <laughs> yeah. You do need to be lucky as well. You finally reached this point in your career where you're in this very enviable place where you can have your pick of roles and you can afford to be choosy. What do you look for in the projects that you're doing these days? I keep it simple all the time. Mm-hmm. A good story. Yeah. With characters, with stuff I can... I, I always look at a script as if I'm seeing it on the screen. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I think, okay, if, I'm sat, if I make what I'm reading here, can I sit down in front of people like your good self and, and look them in the eye and kind of go, I'm, I'm kind of proud of this. We did a good job. We're, we're trying to tell the story properly. We think it's entertaining. I need to be telling the truth when I say those things. And that's kind of my, uh, that's, that's kind of my, 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 my little rule book. Mm. And then after that, can I do something with this role? Can I bring something to it that perhaps the director's producer, maybe even the writer hasn't seen, or be an addition and uh, a positive for the production? Uh, and then, you know, after all that sort of stuff, then you get down the business route. Yeah. You do such a great job in the hot zone. It's such a compelling story. And it's amazing to know that it's true and it's very relevant even today. What do you want people to take away from that? Well, the first and foremost, that they should recognize how, how dangerous this, this to, to use the phrase, as you said earlier on, this monster is. We cannot be complacent. Um, I, th- I think there may be a lot of frustration. Budgets have been cut. Uh, over here quite severely mm-hmm. uh on the uh, the people that are in charge of dealing with stuff like uh like these emerging diseases that's all sort of fine it's a bit like saying the most cost effective art is no art <laughs> it's kind of true yeah. but at the same time it's incredibly important to who we are as as sentient human beings uh, yeah. and as as beings with feelings on that front we need to make sure that the tax dollars that we pay is aimed in the right direction. And I think one of those directions is keeping diseases away from infecting your children. I think that's a good way yeah. for our tax dollars to be spent. Uh, and this is incredibly important in this particular case because this, this thing gets out, uh, especially the, the the most virulent form of, of this path- pathogens. Um, we're all in trouble because it's 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 this is like the genie getting out of the bottle mm-hmm. it's not going to be able you're not going to be able to put it back in yeah. at the moment we have it in a small area it needs to be dealt with 
we can't we can't second guess what the public should do, but they should definitely make their public representatives know that they're worried for the sake of their children. And listen, America has been very good with this sort of thing in the past, uh, but but this needs the world, the globe mm-hmm. needs to throw throw its right. uh, its its uh, facilities at this particular problem. Right, right. You're really not solving anything if it's just a problem that you address at the borders. Yep. Uh, yeah. By then, it's too late. Yeah, absolutely. Now, speaking of having your pick of projects, uh, I understand that the Game of Thrones showrunners David Benioff and D.B. Weiss are now writing and producing the next Star Wars trilogy. And somewhere along the way, I heard that you might be working with them again. Is there a role in there for you? In my mind, there yeah. is. <laughs> right. I love, listen, everybody that grew up was lucky yeah. to be exposed to Star Wars. It, it's 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 not it wasn't just an entertainment it was part of their childhood mm-hmm. uh, no which certainly is a, for me yeah it's a which is a great great thing um however in this particular case uh, uh, people were put two and two together and came up with 25 million uh george lucas and his wife his delightful wife came to the came to set when we were i think we were shooting oh, yeah? the battle of winterfell at the time oh wow and a little time later it was announced that David and Dan were getting involved in the whole the, the world of uh, Star Wars, and because I'd said it and I'd met them and they were on set, <laughs> people went, "Hold on a minute, hold on a minute, there's a connection here." Uh, and I was um, duly accused, and people were already casting me in yeah. something that David and Dan haven't even put pen to paper with yet. <laughs> so um, it's it's uh, I haven't been approached about anything. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything. It uh, uh, it's. It's uh, I know nothing about it yeah. at all, and as do most of probably right, right. David no Dan. They're yeah, still yeah. dealing with the end of Game of Thrones, yeah. aren't they? Okay, well, fingers crossed. You do oh, have I a certain Obi Wan Kenobi, Sir Alec Guinness <laughs> quality to you. So. <laughs> well, if they if they want a middle aged uh, um, Obi Wan Kenobi, absolutely talk to my agent. I'll be on the starting <laughs> blocks waiting for that one. Well, before we go, you've had such an impressive longevity on Game of Thrones. What's the secret to not getting killed off? Don't make eye contact with the producers. <laughs> and hopefully, well, they're, they're writing for so many characters that they might just forget about you and then you show up in the next episode. Well, The Hot Zone premieres this Memorial Day, May 27th at 9, 8 Central, kicking off a three-night event on National Geographic Channel. Don't miss it. Liam Cunningham, thanks for talking with me. Thank you very much, sir. Thanks again to Liam Cunningham for coming on the podcast. Don't miss the three-part limited series, The Hot Zone, premiering Memorial Day, May 27th at 9, 8 central on National Geographic Channel. For more information and behind-the-scenes extras, visit nationalgeographic.com. Cybercrime has been all over the news. Hackable, an original podcast from McAfee, answers the question, how worried should I really be? In the latest episode, host Jeff Siskin bravely puts his smartphone to the test against a hacker. Check out Hackable and learn if your personal devices and data are at risk. Listen and subscribe to Hackable on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Kick-Ass News on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. And if you like what you're hearing, then rate and review us while you're there. Five-star reviews are the easiest way for new listeners to find us. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at at kickassnewspod. And feel free to email me with your thoughts, questions, and suggestions at comments at kickassnews.com. Until next time, I'm Ben Mathis, and thanks for listening to Kickass News. Kickass News.